Welcome to Writers Forum, a weekly presentation of WRBHFM. I'm Sherry Alexander, and this week we're talking to Frank Perez, author most recently of Southern Decadence in New Orleans. Welcome to Writers Forum, Frank. Thank you for having me. Well, you've spent a lot of time here, and you, um, you, you didn't actually start studying tourism. You studied criminal justice originally. Yes, my first degree was in criminal justice, and I followed that up with a master's in English. And what got you so interested in the tour business and the history business? Well, I've always been interested in history, even as in my career as an English professor, I focused mostly on literary history. And as a gay man, I've always been interested in uh, LGBTQ history. And uh, the tourism thing came about, uh, oh, maybe 10 years ago, just after Katrina. And um, it just seemed like a good fit for my interest. And giving tours is kind of like teaching, but there's no faculty meetings. <laughs> I hear you. Which is a good thing. <laughs> Having done it myself. Well, I read several of your books. I read one, um, you did one on self-guided tours of the French Quarter. Yes. Treasures of the Vaucaray. That was uh, a very fun book to research and write. It uh, It's basically 10 self-guided walking tours of the French Quarter arranged by topic. And... Um, and it's, one of your topics is uh, gay interest, you call it. Yes, the gay interest tour. Uh, my first book uh, was called In Exile, which was a history of the LGBT community here in New Orleans. But originally, it started out as just a, a history of one particular bar, Cafe Lafitte in Exile, which is the oldest gay bar in the city. Yeah, tell us about that. There's actually two Cafe Lafitte. Yeah, it's it's an interesting story, and I do include this on a lot of my tours, but everybody is familiar with Lafitte's Blacksmith Shop, which is at 941 Bourbon at the corner of St. Philip. And uh, despite what a lot of people think, that is not the oldest bar in America. Uh, it was never a bar. That building was never a bar until 1933, and that is the year that the Volstead Act or Prohibition was repealed and in that year, a lesbian woman by the name of Mary Collins and two businessmen leased the building and opened a bar and called it Cafe Lafitte. That's it. And it was very gay-friendly for the times. Uh, we didn't really have gay bars as we think of that term now in, in the 1930s, but uh, it did have a fairly sizable gay clientele. And everything was fine until 1953, 20 years after the bar opened, the owner of the building died, and once the estate was settled, the new owner told the bar, you can stay, but I don't want any homosexual people here. So they basically said, thanks, but no thanks. And they went down the street to the next corner, at the corner of Bourbon and Dumaine, and rented what was then a Sicilian deli and opened Cafe Lafitte, but they added the words, in, in exile. exile. And now we know where the in exile comes from. So if you're want a gay-friendly bar, go down the street. Don't go to uh, the, the original. Um, you, you talk about the fact that we haven't always been as welcoming to gays as we are today. And you talk about what went on in the French Quarter. Now, we did have your um, associate, uh, uh, colleague of yours, Robert Feaster, uh, on and he talked about the upstairs lounge fire, but just briefly, if you would remind us about that. 
Uh, sure. Um, I think it's important to remember whenever we're talking about gay history uh, that New Orleans, despite its reputation for anything goes and letting the good times roll and being very tolerant, uh, wasn't always as friendly towards its LGBT community, which has always been here. Uh, but uh, public attitudes were pretty hostile uh, toward the LGBT community all the way up through the 1960s and 70s and even somewhat into the 1980s. And I argue, I have argued in some of the articles I've written and books I've written that uh, tourism, not coincidentally, played a big role in that because the fear was among the power establishment that ran the city, whether it's government or business, was that gay visibility might frighten off tourist dollars. And so in the 1950s, the tourist market was primarily white male conventioneers. Uh, the fact that gays and lesbians had money to spend never really occurred to the city until uh, Southern Decadence becomes very, very popular many decades later. Well, tell us about Southern Decadence. I mean, I always think of the uh, old Mary Tyler Moore show and Ted Baxter what was always recite his history, and he'd say, it all began at a small 5,000-watt station. Well, Southern Decadence was nothing like it is today, and it, was, it all began with a small group of friends. It was a small party for a group of friends held in 1972, and what surprises a lot of people to learn is that it was not a necessarily gay event per se. This, uh, this very tight-knit group of friends included gay people, uh, but they were a really good cross-section. They, they were black, they were white, they were male, they were female, they were gay, straight, transgender, everything in between. And eventually... Uh, and they were actually more in Treme than the French Quarter. Right. They uh, Two two lovers, uh, a gay couple, uh, lived on uh, Barracks Street, and they had a uh, slave quarters in the back. And that building, that home, and particularly the backyard was a gathering place for this group of friends on a weekly basis. They would play bourree, they would play, play games out in the backyard, they would just have informal get-togethers on a fairly regular basis. And because many of these people were recent college graduates who had studied English uh, and they loved Tennessee Williams, they nicknamed the home Belle Reve after the plantation in uh, Streetcar Named Desire. And so the very first Southern Decadence began in 1972 at Belle Reve, and contrary to popular belief, it was not one party. It was actually two parties over a two-week period. Um, it was uh, the second party was a going-away party for one of the people that owned the home who was moving away. And uh, that man's name was David Randolph and uh, Michael Evers. Michael Evers was uh, leaving uh, town, and uh, he was a very central figure in that group of friends who also nicknamed themselves the decadents. You know that at a dictionary definition you give, you know, falling into ruin or decay, but, but what did they mean? Well, I, I think they meant a number of things. The word decadence uh, is uh, packed with metaphorical meanings, right? And it's perfect for New Orleans uh, because New Orleans is a very decadent city, uh, a city that was once very wealthy but has uh, declined and affluence and wealth, but also there's an artistic sensibility involved. There was a, an artistic movement called the Decadent Movement in the late 1890s, uh, sometimes called art for art's sake. Uh, and so this group of friends, I think when they use the term decadent, uh, 
refer to uh, something in decline or in ruin or in decay, uh, but that was still retained its beauty paradoxically. How did, how did you research this topic? How did you get into, I mean, what did you have to go on? Well, a we, couple we, of books. we did a, um, our research methodology involved a couple of different approaches, not the least of which was looking at newspaper coverage of the event. Uh, there were two major long-term newspapers that served the LGBT community. That would have been Ambush Magazine and Impact. So a lot of early articles uh, gave us a lot of information. We also conducted a number of interviews with the founders, uh, as well as former Grand Marshals. Uh, so we did a lot of interviews, a lot of research in uh, media reports, uh, but there wasn't a lot of media coverage until it got big. So the very early years, uh, we relied mostly on personal interviews. Uh, fortunately, many of the founders of Southern Decadence are still around. They live here in New Orleans. So the 70s <clears throat> and 80s, by the way, of course, this being radio, people can't see the the book, although we'll probably put it on a cover on our website, is just really gloriously, <clears throat> not even decadent, it's just a beautiful cover. And you have lots and lots of photographs in your book, which I guess that took a while to gather all those. Yeah, like, many of the photographs were, um, were found uh, in the personal collections of some of the founders. Um, as far as the book cover, which our listeners can't see, is a, an image of the Southern Decadence Parade uh, maybe six or seven years ago, and it's very colorful. And uh, I think the parade, the focus on the parade, which is what the cover is, is important because today when people think of decadence, Southern Decadence, they probably just think of, you know, a couple hundred thousand uh, gay people pouring into the city and partying all weekend, and that's wonderful. But at its very core, dating all the way back to its origins, uh, the, the core of Southern Decadence is the parade. And the Grand Marshal's Parade is held every Labor Day weekend on Sunday. And that's what this image is. And congratulations to you as the most recent Grand Marshal. Thank you. Did uh, you have a happy rain? As... Uh, a happy rain, a very fun rain, a very tiring rain. It is uh, <laughs> It is not a ceremonial title, being Grand Marshal of Southern Decadence. Well, even though your book <clears throat> came out around then, we decided to wait a few weeks. We're taping this uh, into October to give you a chance to recover. And, and I appreciate that because I needed it. Uh, I, I don't think people realize how much work goes into producing the parade. We, uh, as Grand Marshals, I had a, a co-Grand Marshal by the name of Atticus Sulpizi, and we were, <clears throat> we were named Grand Marshals, what, in April or May, which gave us only a few months to raise the necessary money to pay the city to produce the parade. And it costs anywhere from twelve to $15,000 to put on the parade between the city permits sanitation fees, police details, parade insurance, and also the costs involved of producing dozens of smaller fundraisers throughout the summer. Yeah, so how do you, what are some of those fundraisers? What do you do to get that money? Uh, this year we, we tried to switch up uh, some of the traditional fundraisers. Uh, for the most part, the fundraisers have been anything from drag shows at gay bars, We uh, but we've done car washes, we've done art auctions, uh, we also solicited uh, sponsorships, um, so there have been a lot of potluck dinners, things like that. Some of the sponsors being beer? Yes. Uh, since you brought that up, there is a um, somewhat of a division um, among people who are familiar with de decadence 
about whether or not we should make it more corporate. And uh, these people that are in favor of soliciting more corporate sponsorships point to gay pride, which originally started out not corporate at all. It was an act of rebellion, really, uh, the pride parades. But now they've become corporate trade shows. And uh, some of us feel that we don't want the Southern Decadence Parade to become a corporate trade show. Uh, we feel like doing smaller fundraisers with local businesses not only helps them uh, with their businesses, but it also gives them ownership over the uh, the festival. And so Atticus and I uh, were of the opinion that we really don't want to go the corporate direction. That being said, we did have a few corporate sponsorships, and we're proud to say that all of our corporate sponsors in some way, shape, or form contributed to sin, vice, and immorality. <laughs> That's so that would, be, that would be beer companies be and, and a few other companies. Well, <clears throat> how did you get chosen? You didn't get a bean in your uh, basket. Like no, that. that's one of the most interesting and fascinating aspects of Southern Decadence is the, the outgoing Grand Marshal has the sole discretion to select his or her successor or successors. Uh, there's no application process. There's no criteria. There are no standards. There are no bylaws. Uh, the Grand Marshal can select whomever he or she wants. And some years that's pretty easy to predict who they're going to pick. Uh, other years, not so much. And uh, over the history of decadence, that system has worked out pretty well with a few hiccups along the way. Are, are people already lobbying <clears throat> you and your uh, co-marshal? Yes. yes. But uh, when do you announce? You won't announce it till the spring? The announcement is usually in the spring, uh, right around Easter. Um the day after I was announced, uh, my I found friends I never knew I had. Uh, <laughs> Relatives. <laughs> it's like winning the lottery. Exactly. People are crawling out of the woodwork. Um, it, it's not unheard of for people to try to buy it. Um, I, I was approached with money. Oh, boy. And uh, I declined. Uh, <laughs> so it is a coveted position within the gay community. Um, but uh, those of us who have served as Grand Marshals, I think, pretty much uh, feel like we have to be very careful in who we select to keep the traditions alive. Well, very poignant. You you more or less go chronologically, and plus you have a huge <coughs> amount of interviews and, as I said, photos and so on. But going chronologically, you talk about some, some big events that affected uh, decadence over the years. It's in, almost 50 years old now, and... One was the AIDS epidemic uh, during the 80s. Yes. When the um, the AIDS epidemic hit New Orleans, it really took its toll on the community. And that's not unique to New Orleans. That was everywhere. But New Orleans is really a small city, and the LGBT community is an even smaller community within that. Uh, and so some of the grand marshals in the 19, um, early 90s, when the epidemic really hit hard here, thought we really should do something for this and raise money. And so the charity aspect of Southern Decadence has its roots in giving money to AIDS organizations in the early 1990s. Um, that being said, I will say that although for the last, uh, well, since 2010 or 11, every Grand Marshal has selected an official charity, uh, it's really not accurate to say that Southern Decadence is a charity event. Next year's Grand Marshals may decide we don't want to have a, a charity, and that would be fine. Uh, but I think it's a nice thing to do. What was your charity? Our two charities were uh, Mr. Friendly or Team Friendly, which is an HIV awareness 
uh, organization that reduces the stigma uh, for those living with HIV and encourages, uh, you know, paying attention to the disease. And the other charity was the LGBT Plus Archives Project of Louisiana, which is a nonprofit that is all about preserving local queer history. And aren't you... uh... The head of that? Uh, I happen to be the president of that, so it was easy. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> well, it was it was uh, kind of a no-brainer for me, but that's been one of the great joys of my life in the last several years is leading that organization. Well, I know a lot of things are digitized, but where do you actually keep the physical memorabilia? It's a good question, uh, and we get that all the time. <clears throat> we don't have an archival repository or space of ourselves we are more of a collective. We have a, a very good collaborative working relationship with institutions in New Orleans and around the state that are interested in preserving LGBT history. So we have facilitated donations to the Amistad Research Center, the Louisiana State Museum, uh, the Louisiana Research Collection at Tulane, the Newcomb College Archives, even the public library. So basically what we do is we reach out to the community and say, hey, if you've got a box of whatever, in your attic or closet, consider getting it out of the closet and putting it somewhere where it can be properly cared for. That's and, a good, good theme for, yeah, that's kind for of our gay slogan. collective, out of the closet. Get, get our history out of the closet. That's, <laughs> that's our slogan. Uh, on the flip side of facilitating donations to museums and archival repositories, we're also, on the flip side, uh, a great resource, invaluable resource for researchers. I get contacted two or three times a month by professors, filmmakers, grad students, researchers who are interested in ABC, and I'm able to tell them, well, this is what's available, this is where it is. So it saved them a lot of legwork. Uh, you mentioned Robert Fiesler earlier, uh, whose book Tinderbox is about the upstairs on fire. We, I, I worked with him uh, pretty closely on that book and helped him. And that's just one example of, of dozens I could give you. But now, uh, the the decadence start, may have started out just with a bunch of friends and then word of mouth and so on, um, but it's really grown. Um, now, what happened with Katrina? Well, when <clears throat> Hurricane Katrina hit, uh, decadence, well, there was a mandatory evacuation, and so you might say that decadence was officially canceled, which is why the Grand Marshals that had been selected for 05 served again in 06. Uh, I can tell you that there was an unofficial, unsanctioned decadence parade uh, led by a few gay men who had stuck around and uh, marched around the French Quarter. Now, your relationship with the city has also changed over the years. Decadence wasn't always um, fully sanctioned, shall we say, by the city. That's a nice way of putting it. (laughs) In the 1970s and even into the 80s, the city viewed the decadence parade with a very raised eyebrow. And it wasn't until the first city permit was issued in 1997 that the city really got involved. So from the first parade was in 1973. So from 73 to 1996, there was no city involvement. So that meant that the Grand Marshal had the discretion of leading the parade on a whim. And that led to a lot of stuff. Kind of like Zulu was. Yeah, yeah. But now, with a city permit, you kind of have to file a parade route, and you have to let the police know which way you're going. It's a little bit more formal. Well, uh, you call it a juggernaut now. I mean, it's we're it, not talking a few thousand. No, this year 
the best estimates for this year are about 275,000 people in town. So you need a little more organization than just let's all follow Yes. Frank around wherever he wants to go. Yeah, and the thing is the Grand Marshals are only in charge of the parade. That is our responsibility. But since everybody, all these 200,000 people come in town, usually on Wednesday, Thursday of Labor Day weekend, leading up to Labor Day weekend, all the gay bars and gay-themed businesses have their own programming. And as Grand Marshals, we don't have anything to do with that. Uh, So... There's a lot going on that weekend, and the number, if you look at the numbers, so we have a chart in the back of the book that shows the attendance from when that started being recorded. It's just grown exponentially every year, with a few notable exceptions of hurricane years. Do you, do you think it's getting too big, maybe? Well, I don't know. Um, I don't think so. You do compare it to Mardi Gras. It has been called, Southern Decadence has been called gay Mardi Gras, Um I don't like calling it that. I think it's completely different, although there's what we talk about in the introduction to the book is that Southern Decadence is sort of an inverted view of Mardi Gras, um, a, a distorted mirror image on the opposite end of the calendar. So there's some remarkable it's, it's similarities. It's through between Mardi Gras. Right. And you say, well, you have costumes, you have parades. Yes, And the first Southern Decadence party, that going-away party that I referenced earlier, was a costume party. And uh, we have a picture of the invitation in the book that your listeners can... Beautiful invitation. uh, Yeah, well, well, (laughs) for adults. (laughs) The the invitation is um, a silhouette, it's black and white, uh, of a Southern belle in a hoop skirt sitting down with a man on his knees and his upper half underneath the dress. Use your imagination. But the text of the invitation says, come back to Belle Reve dressed as your favorite Southern decadent or dress up as a character from Southern film or literature. So a lot of Blanche Dubois, a lot of Tulula Bankheads and whatnot. So that's where the name Southern decadence comes from. But today um, people dress um, not so much as Southern bells as, um, well, what was your costume? Um, My costume and most costumes try to, are informed by, I should say, by the theme the Grand Marshals select a theme. Our theme this year was, considering that it's the 300th anniversary of New Orleans, House of Bourbon. Unleash Your Beast. Unleash Your Beast. <laughs> and so I took the House of Bourbon angle, and I dressed as King Louis Fourteenth, and everyone in my entourage that marched with me was in 18th century formal wear. Atticus was more Unleash Your Beast, which was animal motif costumes. And we felt that that was... Uh, a real subtle way to send a message that, you know, even though decadence is growing, we want it to remain, it, we want it to retain its decadent origin. So we want it to be decadent and depraved and debaucherous. Not, not for the kids. Right. This is for adults. Right. So that was, uh, that was our theme. I was out of town. I was so, so sad. I, I wanted to see you all dressed up in all the costumes and so on. Well, what about the future? Is it just going to keep getting bigger and bigger? or? I think uh, it's a genie that's been released from the bottle, and there's no way of putting it back in. Um, I think it will continue to grow. All indications are that it will. Um, one of the things that Atticus and I, I think we're very successful at this year, is making it a little more inclusive. 
uh, and also, and by that I mean incorporating uh, straight people in organizations. Isn't that ironic that you're talking inclusive to include straight people who are the majority? Yes, and it started out, I mean, there were straight people as founders. Uh, And so in addition, we we tried to um, include people that have somewhat been marginalized in, in the bar scene during decadence minorities, lesbians, um, and I think we were, we were successful with that. But to answer your question, I don't see decadence going away anytime soon. I see it getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and my hope is that it will still retain its traditions. Um, we do have to just, we only have a minute or so left. We do have to at least mention there was some controversy with some of the fundraising um, whether your donations to Southern Decadence are tax-deductible and so on. Has that been straightened out? Uh, yes, it has. Um, in 2012, one of the Grand Marshals absconded with a couple of thousand dollars, and that was a, a, a very uh, bad black eye on our history. So the following year, the Grand Marshals were having an understandably tough time raising money. And so what they did was they went to three community leaders and says, hey, we are having a really tough time raising money. Would you form a board of directors to look after the money? And a nonprofit. We need you to open a uh, checking account, basically. Yeah. So the, the question became, are they a nonprofit with the IRS? Is it a 501c3 or not? And there was some confusion because uh, the board was only three people, two of whom became very ill and died. Last year, they both died. Uh, and so when Atticus and I were named, we met with this new board, newly constituted board, and we decided that um, they weren't really ready, and we were gonna, just going to do our own thing. And so we formed what we called a Southern Decadence Financial Oversight Committee, and that was basically three former grand marshals opening a checking account. We are not a 501c3. We are registered as a nonprofit corporation with the Secretary of State, but the money we receive uh, is not tax deductible. It's not tax deductible, but it's at least there, you've got this oversight that the money's going right. to go to your want, cause. We want accountability, um, and we, we're currently in the process of crunching the numbers. We have an outside independent auditor that's going to do a financial report that will be published when it's completed. So we well, want to be transparent. Um, congratulations, yeah. and you've done wonders for the organization. You're a fantastic guide and researcher and author. The book is beautiful. Um, one review, this is not only an important and delightful work of cultural history, it's also a definitive reference resource that proves from its founding that Southern decadence reflected and contributed to larger national and international conversations in all the variety, from civil rights to carnival to health care. That makes Southern decadence in this book a treasure for everyone. That was Leon Miller at um, Tulane University. You've been listening to Writers Forum, and we want to thank our guest this week, Frank Perez, author most recently of Southern Decadence in New Orleans. I'm Sherry Alexander for WRBH.